Hey there, I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor for Bloomberg Government. And I'm Greg Giroux, senior elections reporter for Bloomberg Government. Check out our podcast, Down Ballot Counts. Each week, Greg and I will be breaking down all of those down ballot elections that make up the fight for the U.S. Congress. Listen and subscribe to Down Ballot Counts from Bloomberg Government wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Jordan Rubin. And I'm Kimberly Robinson. This is your SCOTUS sneak peek for the first week of the court's 2020 term, which hasn't even started yet and is already a wild one, as we now have an eight-member court, but Judge Barrett is making the rounds with senators ahead of her potential confirmation before the November election is decided. Kimberly, you ready to do this? Uh, I think so. So uh, just as a recap, uh, the court is going to kick off on the first Monday in October. This year is a little late. It's October 5th. Of course, for the justices, it might seem like they've already started, and that's because they met for their long conference on Tuesday. We can expect some grants uh, from them on Friday, um, which might be the day that you're listening to this. And then the court officially kicks off on Monday at 9.30 with probably some denials from that long conference, followed by arguments. It's going to do a two-week argument session, which uh, will be the first of seven, going from October to April. And generally, the court will hear arguments on Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. Of course, to start off, we're going remotely uh, due to the COVID crisis. And the court says that they'll make a determination later as to whether or not um, they'll be back in person. I imagine that we'll start getting opinions sometime in December, but that's really not a hard and fast rule. Uh, Notably, however, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was quite speedy with her opinions and was usually the first one to drop an opinion in an argued case. And so now that we have a layout for how the Supreme Court conducts its term, we'll give anyone who's maybe a new listener or forgot just the general layout of how these episodes will go. So our sneak peek episodes like this one give you a quick preview for each case being argued for each argument week. And then our deep dive episodes take a deeper look, obviously, heading into each argument session and then after each two-week argument session. And sometimes we bring on the lawyers who actually argue the cases. It's a good time. So Kimberly... You want to kick us off with the first case that'll be argued virtually, Carney against Adams? Sure. So Carney against Adams is a case that could end up upending American corporate law. Uh, Delaware says that one of the reasons that so many companies are chartered in the state is because of the state courts and its reputation for being fair and impartial. In particular, they have a requirement in Delaware that the state courts be Bipartisan, that is more or less split evenly between Democrats and Republicans. Now, James Adams, a self described independent, is challenging those rules, saying that limiting service to the two major political parties violates his right to freedom of association under the First Amendment. So, kicking off the case is going to be former colleague of Justice Gorsuch, former 10th Circuit Judge Michael McConnell, and he is going to face off against first-timer David Finger. Then the second case that day is Texas against New Mexico. And now I feel a little bad. The ABA preview, the way it describes this case is by saying it's, quote, a very limited interest for those outside of the Pecos River Valley. But, you know, joke's on them because we're taking this thing worldwide. So, 
this is a case that comes to the court through its original jurisdiction, which is a rare type of case that goes directly to the justices without having to do any other types of appeals first. And it's a case that's literally been going on at the court on and off for decades. It involves a series of long-running water disputes between those two states over the Pecos River. And the question here is whether the river master correctly allocated evaporation losses under the Pecos River Compact. So it's a river master. The court winds up appointing someone to basically try and deal with these disputes and sort them out, but that winds up raising arguments of its own. So in this most recent iteration of the dispute, it stems from a tropical storm in 2014, caused a bunch of flooding. New Mexico stored some of Texas's water for a while, some of it evaporated. And the question is basically who bears the cost of that. And so arguing for Texas is the state solicitor general, Kyle Hawkins. For New Mexico, it's Jeffrey Wetchler of the firm Montgomery and Andrews. And the U.S. solicitor general's office is weighing in, siding with New Mexico in the argument represented by assistant to the SG, Masha Hansford. And I think that's going to be her first argument uh, with the solicitor general's office and ever, right? Yeah, I think that's right. We got a few first-timers in this session, sometimes squaring off some much more seasoned advocates, so it should make for some interesting arguments. All right, so on to Tuesday, where the first case up is Rutledge versus Pharmaceutical Care Management Association. This one is an ERISA preemption case. Woo! It deals with a 2015 Arkansas law that seeks to address the lack of pharmacies in rural areas. Among other things, the law raised the reimbursement rates for generic drugs. Now, in a two-paragraph analysis, the Eighth Circuit said that the law was void under ERISA's broad preemption, which preempts, quote, any and all state laws insofar as they may now or hereafter relate to any employee benefit plan. So because the law regulated pharmacy benefit managers, or PBMs, it was preempted. And I'll just say, like most ERISA cases, this one is a lot of alphabet soup, um, lots of PBMs and such. This is going to be an all-male lineup. The Arkansas Solicitor General will be arguing, as well as Frederick Liu from U.S. Solicitor General's office, and former SG Seth Waxman will round it out. So the second case that day is Tanzin against Tanvir. question there is whether the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, also known as RIFRA, permits suits seeking money damages against individual federal employees. So this case stems from a lawsuit filed by Muslim men who said the FBI put them on the no-fly list after they refused to be informants. They sued the agents, saying their refusal to snitch was based on their religious beliefs. So RIFRA bars the government from putting a substantial burden on the exercise of religion unless the government has what's called a compelling interest. And the law lets parties obtain quote-unquote appropriate relief, which is usually injunctive relief, but the question here is whether people can sue for money too. And so on the side of the men, there are many amicus briefs that have poured in from various religious organizations and other groups supporting the government, just a couple outside briefs from atheist groups. For the SG's office, arguing will be Deputy SG Edwin Needler, who I think has argued before the court more than anyone practicing today. And for the men wanting to sue the FBI, it's CUNY law professor Ramsey Kassam. Well, on Wednesday, the court is going to hear Google versus Oracle. This is the case that people are calling the copyright case of the century. I think in part they're calling it that because no one has any idea what this case is actually about. Uh, But I'm going to try and give a big 
broad understanding. So this involves lines of code called software interfaces. And you know, how come I got this and the ERISA preemption case? This doesn't seem fair. So here, lines of code called software interfaces. So these software interfaces allow developers to do things. Here, it allows them to talk to smartphones and get them to to perform particular acts like uh, creating a messaging system or social media interface. So Oracle sued Google over its use of the Java interface code, which is known to millions of developers. And a lower court actually overturned a jury verdict in Google's favor, saying that these the Java code was copyright eligible and that Google's use was not protected by fair use. Of course, this is going to be a big money case, but uh, tech companies have weighed in here saying that if the court upholds the ruling below, that it will set back technological development because people will have to rewrite their own code and developers will have to relearn all kinds of new codes. This one's going to be another all-male lineup uh, with some heavy hitters that court watchers know. Uh, Tom Goldstein is going to argue on behalf of Google. Josh Rosencrantz is going to take the lectern for Oracle. And he's one of three attorneys from Oric who are going to make an appearance in this October sitting. And then Malcolm Stewart for the Solicitor General is going to finish it off. Yeah, between them, they must have a ton of years of argument combined, right? It should be an interesting one. Last case of the week. Ford Motor Company, it's a consolidated cases dealing with jurisdiction. And this deals with cases coming from Montana and Minnesota involving some car accidents resulting in serious injuries, including death. Ford was sued in those state courts, but the company argues it doesn't have enough of a connection to those states to be sued there. The question is, under the due process clause, whether the plaintiff's claims, quote unquote, arise out of or relate to, end quote, the defendant's activities in the state. Ford, headquartered in Michigan and incorporated in Delaware, says no. Plaintiffs say Ford regularly marketed and sold the product that caused their injuries in those states, so lawsuits there are fair game. We'll see what the Supreme Court says. Ford is backed by the Chamber of Commerce and other interests, including the Trump administration. Arguing for Ford will be Hogan Lovell's Sean Murata against Gupta Wessler's Deepak Gupta. So again, some names that people, court watchers, are familiar with. Um, glad that you mentioned that Ford was incorporated in Delaware, so you could bring it full circle. Exactly. Love business out here. <laughs> That's going to do it uh, for our first sneak peek episode. We'll be back next week to preview that week's cases. Until then, you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com. The killers of Berta Caceres had every reason to believe they'd get away with murder. Her work as an environmental activist won her the admiration of celebrities in California, politicians in Washington, and the indigenous communities she worked alongside in Honduras. It also earned her powerful enemies. On a new podcast from Bloomberg Green, Blood River follows a four-year quest to find Berta Caceres' killers. Join journalist Monty Real and the team from Bloomberg Green as they untangle false leads and mishandled evidence, taking listeners deep into a sector of international development that's marked by high-level corruption and rampant violence. Blood River debuts Monday, July 27th on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. <laughs>